0: Welcome to Future of School, the podcast, where we amplify all the key stakeholder voices in education, students, teachers, parents, policy influencers, entrepreneurs, and more, and engage in meaningful discussions about what it means to create an education system in which all students can reach their unbounded potential. You'll hear diverse perspectives discussing the power and promise of technology, true successes in personalized learning, and what it means to prepare the qualified workforce of tomorrow. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Hi, I'm Tilly Elvram and I am an online education advocate and I'm passionate about online education because I saw the benefits within my own family. My son attended a full-time online public school for 10 years and we use these schools in three different states as a military family and then a corporate family on the move and online learning served my student well because uh, he benefited from the flexibility of online learning he has a learning difference and he was able to work at his own pace which really benefited a student who needed time to uh, master new concepts and build the foundational skills that he needed. And he also was able to work ahead when he was really passionate about a subject, which kept his love of learning uh, exciting and kept him excited about his education. Uh, Parents turn to online learning because they know their students aren't one size fits all and they don't need. A one-size-fits-all education. They benefit from the personalization of online learning. I really believe that online education is the future of schools because it serves students well and they can pick the time, pace, and place of their education. And I hope that we would encourage that going into the future because we know that students work best uh, when they're masters of their own education.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Stick around for our featured interview and more great segments coming up. We have a special guest on our podcast today, Kareem Farah. Kareem is an experienced educator who taught high school math in both Hawaii and Washington DC for six years. In 2018, he was awarded the DC, DC Public Schools Award for Classroom Innovation. In large part because he has a strong passion for teaching through a blended model. In an effort to scale his classroom model, Kareem launched a very creative nonprofit called the Modern Classrooms Project, where he currently serves as executive director. Welcome, Kareem. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to have this time to talk to you today with your experience having been in the classroom as a teacher. Switching over to being a, a leader and founder of a nonprofit, we're really excited to hear your impressions of the the role of the teacher today and what that looks like in the future.
2: Sure, happy to discuss further.
0: So, how would you summarize the role of teachers in the lives of students
2: in general?
3: Yeah, in general.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I've always seen the teacher as the role of facilitator. Um, I think it's easy to think that you should play too much of a role or too little of a role in students' lives. And I think in the end, you kind of want to personalize what your students need and try to fit those needs. In the end, kids are going to be the primary drivers of learning. Learning happens both in the classroom and outside of the classroom and online. So as educators, you kind of got to think tactfully about how you can make the student the center of the learning experience and drive self-directed learning on their end. And you are really a facilitator for a small group and individualized discussion, learning more more about students, building relationships, and, of course, aligning that to important critical skills and standards.
0: Well said. Fantastic. Did you see your role change or shift from when you first started teaching to when you started integrating uh, blended learning models and approaches?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, when I first started teaching, you know, I taught in the most traditional way that you can imagine. And I think that oftentimes particularly happens when you're a math teacher at the high school level, right? You just think every single day I'm going to lecture a new skill. Kids are going to follow along everything I say. They're going to take notes. They're going to do some, you know, assignments. They're going to take some sort of assessment. And then we're going to go to the next lesson the next day, regardless of what happens. I think there's a lot of issues with the traditional framework of teaching. Um, You know, at the, at the onset, it's very much so like a, spoon-fed delivery model of content, where kids are compliantly disengaged, the small fraction of them that happen to love your boring lecture, if you lectured the way I did, which was uniquely boring in my opinion, um, then they're captivated, but the large book of students, right, are just kind of going through the motions and have been conditioned to follow along with the system. Um, I built the instructional model that I created, which is a blended self-paced mastery based one that we now scale at the Modern Classrooms Project with the fundamental premise that the greatest inhibitor of innovation for educators is the lecture. Um, that is the barrier to entry for innovation. And when you're kind of attached to a lecture model where every day you open with new information that only comes out of your mouth and the kids need to hear it. And if they don't, they're in trouble, basically, from a falling behind standpoint. You really inhibit the capacity for students to drive their own learning and for you as the educator to be a facilitator as opposed to sort of the stage on stage kind of model of teaching and learning. So once I was able to eliminate the lecture and unleashed a new level of innovation um, in my classroom that I never really thought I could have achieved prior and That's where all the other kind of cool, innovative practices that I think our teachers are doing and I got to do in my classroom come to life. And the only way to really do that, unless you're super, super creative in your capacity to deliver information without technology is to use technology as an asset, right, in a lean but effective way um, so that you can use technology to eliminate the components of instruction that are both inefficient and disengaging.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great perspective. I was doing a training earlier this week for teachers who are new to remote learning. They've been in the traditional model, and we were talking about best practice for live sessions, and they were very, very surprised that best practice says you should do no more than 12 to 15 minutes of direct instruction online. They yeah. It was hard for them to wrap their minds around. But wait, in in the brick and mortar classroom, I'm standing in front of the kids for 45 minutes and I'm doing the majority of the time I'm talking. So it is a shift in mentality and pedagogy as well.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we see something similar because, you know, we train teachers to replace the lecture with their own instructional videos. And when the research points to, you know, instructional videos need to be less than nine minutes, ideally under six minutes and engagement drops drastically after the 12 to 14 minute mark, you know, lots of folks just generally initially are sort of shocked by that reality. I was as well, like, how do you succinctly summarize a skill in a short amount of time? And, you know, the data supports that, the longer you take the less engagement you have. So it's a challenge for everyone but it teaches folks to to really be lean with what they're delivering to kids so that they can actually struggle themselves with the content and problem solve themselves.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. Did you have an aha moment when you decided to leave the classroom and found the modern classrooms project?
2: Yeah, I mean there was a from a from a scalability standpoint there was an aha moment. You know, I had the unbelievable amount of luck and privilege to get nominated for an innovation award in a district and then, you know, win that award. And they built a little video about my model um, at the time, which was like a minute and a half. And when they played that in front of the crowd, you know, it was one of those award ceremonies where you're just kind of going through the motions. I was like a young teacher and I was like, that's wild that I got this award. Um, And then there was a moment in the video where I referenced the fundamental notion that students in my class don't move on to the next lesson until they've shown mastery on the previous one. And in this very sort of celebratory environment, there was like a roar when that phrase came up. Um, and it was uniquely specific to our model and also uniquely pedagogical in a very celebratory environment. And I realized at that moment that there was like an intense appetite amongst the educators, the administrators, the stakeholders in that, that auditorium that day, that innovation was around the corner and the idea of mastery-based learning and you know, how that can be facilitated was really powerful. I kind of left that day thinking, you know, how can we capitalize on that momentum and that appetite? And that was sort of the aha moment that, that led us as organizational leaders to say, look, it's time to found this and think about just scaling what we've created in our classrooms.
0: So talk, talk to us a little bit about the work that you do then you um, work with teachers who are hungry and interested in transforming their approach to instruction, correct?
2: Yes, that's exactly right. So There's a couple of things I'll say about our work. So first, you know, one of the ways we're unique is we actually provide a specific model. So we're not like uh, an organization that sort of believes in the general notion of professional development around sort of personalized learning, but instead we take a specific approach to blended self-paced mastery-based instruction and train educators on that specific method, which has a ton of customization under its umbrella. So we are literally training teachers on an instructional model. The model is blended self-paced mastery-based in its simplest form. You replace lectures with your own instructional videos. You let kids work at their own pace within each unit of study and you grade them on mastery as opposed to a mixture of completion and effort. Um, now, the way we're reaching teachers is kind of a multi-pronged approach. So, the the. The biggest access approach is our free online course. So we built a free online course. Any educator across the world can access it for free, and it takes teachers through our entire program. You see all of our tutorials and resources 100% for free, and we currently have about 15,000 teachers in their learning, and you know it grows exponentially each and every day. So that's one way that we support teachers in a kind of low-touch exposure model. And then we have our virtual mentorship program. And that's where we actually train teachers with a little bit more comprehensive support. So individual teachers can purchase a subscription to our virtual mentorship program where they get pay paired with an implementer of the model. They travel through the course, they build a unit, they get one-to-one coaching, feedback on all the assignments they submit. And our goal is to really get them off the ground with the model. And folks either come through that program, either by paying individually, like a teacher who just wants to be a part of the virtual mentorship program. But I'd say 85% of our work is working with schools and districts who enroll cohorts of educators into our program. We train them and support them. And then we provide kind of follow-up support and resources for them to provide exemplars. They can write uh, up tutorials. They can write articles. They can attend office hours. Um, And again, all centered around this idea of one instructional model that folks are learning and, and modifying and creating that works in any content area and any grade level up to this point.
0: Awesome. Um, I think I I have a couple ideas of how you might answer this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, so everyone can hear your answer. Um, How has the pandemic most impacted your work at Modern Classrooms Project?
2: Yeah, I mean, the reality is it's obviously spiked demand for our work. I think, you know, we see our model as an opportunity for teachers to reshape in-person instruction. But what we found was that our fellows, the folks that we had trained, our mentees, had transitioned during COVID-19 and the closure of schools very smoothly from the in-person to remote instruction, distance learning space. And the reason why was right, they had built all these principles already around self-pacing and mastery-based grading, and then they had already eliminated lectures and instructional videos. And I think, you know, when anyone thinks about distance learning, remote learning, online instruction, anyone who's done it well knows that asynchronous learning is like a key element of that experience, right? This idea that kids are not going to be learning with you the majority of the time, and when they are with you, you're supplementing it with sort of discussions, Q&As in small group instruction. So our model was a natural pivot point. Um, and what that did was it kind of showed the rest of the world and all the educators that have started to learn our free model or our virtual mentorship program is they're all eager to build out instructional models for their classrooms that both can withstand the blows of and challenges of COVID-19, but then can easily be transitioned into the in-person space without them having to build two worlds of instruction. Um, so Naturally, lots of folks have come to us, and I think you know, most players in the ed tech space and in the innovation at the classroom level space will say that you know, what COVID-19 does, a silver lining of COVID-19, is it's really put education technology at the forefront and had educators across the country and the world think about how they can use technology more effectively, and it's kind of a snowball effect. Once you start playing around with it, looking at some of the upside, you really need to access these resources, you start to realize how they can be of value in the classroom.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we saw it trending in this way, right? The, you were on our webinar that we hosted last month that focused on the teacher voice, and we did a national survey at Future of School that captured teacher feedback at the end of the school year. And it was interesting, the question around t- experience that teachers had using high-tech touch in their classroom for instruction was 10% of teachers said that they, that they had felt comfortable using it, but yet nearly 80% of teachers wanted to use it. And so the discrepancy there was, you know, professional development, but also um, PD and having a culture where that's fostered in your school. And so the study that we did had the almost the exact same results as the 2018 study that was done by PricewaterhouseCoopers with the same sample size. So it, we were trending in that way. We just had this, this major shift, which um, pushed it forward quickly.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think the question of professional development around this work is an important one that everyone needs to think hard about. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of reasons why implementation of education technology at the classroom level was spotty at best pre-COVID-19. Um, but I think a lot of it falls on professional development and how people were thinking about professional development and training teachers. You know, we like to think at the modern classrooms project, we have a rather novel way of approaching PD. Um, And I think if you don't approach PD effectively, you can't expect a high level of implementation. And I think, you know, you all probably know this as well, but like, the number of tech tools purchased versus the use of tech tools at the school and district level pre-COVID-19 was jarring, right? Similar to that kind of gap you just said around interest versus implementation. I think just you know pure dollars spent and purchases of education technology versus use of it, there's also a huge discrepancy there that hopefully will, will start to come together post-COVID-19 and during
0: yeah which brings up um, a great question to close on, and that's around the misperceptions. When I was hired as one of the first online teachers in 2005, the misperceptions and the misnomers about online and blended learning then were this are the same that we saw emerge in the spring as it related to now there's the, the whole country school you know the concept of technology in school is something that's been it, people have been exposed to in mass, and so we here. Um, misnomers like well we like the idea of technology but we don't want robots or ai to replace teachers or you know technology in schools that's going to prohibit strong relationships between teachers and students so i'd love for you to share your thoughts on do you think that as a society we're moving away from the misnomers that exist about the detriment of technology in schools
2: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think we are. I think it's a natural progression, right? I don't think, you know, inevitably technology is just something that's becoming a more and more necessary and valuable tool in life. So the notion that kids would be somehow shielded from it or wouldn't be able to access it in classrooms is not just, uh, you know, bad for effective instruction, but it's also just like a dangerous equity issue, right? Kids need to be able to experiment with technology and use technology each and every day. If we expect adults to in their workplace all the time, we need kids to. You know, I think the misnomers um, and the challenges with online instruction to some degree have been warranted because I think there has just been a random smattering of what's available to teachers, and you're going to react to what you get exposed to. And if you get exposed to something that is a non effective way to use technology in a classroom, that's going to be where your brain is anchored to. So, you know, I've certainly seen and was personally exposed to technology tools or implementation of tools that you know, created silos and classrooms where kids were learning in portals and not interacting with each other or their teacher. That's a terrible implementation of technology. It leads to compliant disengagement even worse than, you know, a potential lecture model. Um, And it certainly isn't what we want to see in classrooms. So I think the more you get exposure to effective implementation of technology, the more you realize its benefits. And I think a time like this is obviously going to increase exposure. You know, I always say, the greatest compliment I ever got when I was an educator is when Edutopia came to film my classroom, the, exec, the, the director of the actual filming asked me when she walked in, is this actually a blended learning classroom? And she asked that question because about a quarter of my students at that moment were on computers. They were, you know, in between transitioning to these hands-on activities and, and working on the computer itself. And I looked at her and I said, of course it is. You know, it's a misnomer to think that when you walk into a technology-infused classroom that all kids do is have computers out and are staring at screens, right? That is one very narrow version of blended learning environment and one that I certainly didn't seek to cultivate and I don't think most teachers do. Um, So the more folks get exposed to these sort of lean uses of technology where they're facilitators of learning they're avenues to eliminate inefficiencies and strengthen relationships and build community, uh, then folks will realize the benefits and implement it more. And I think to some degree, uh, COVID-19 has certainly accelerated it. But in the end, you know, that transformational change from the educator end is only going to happen when they see great examples of how this can work.
0: Excellent. Thank you for the great work that you're leading at Modern Classrooms Project. Thank you for being a, a great colleague of mine. And we look forward to seeing the work that you do down the road.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Amy.
0: According to students, the number one reason they choose blended and online courses is flexibility, including flexibility related to their schedule, expanded course offerings, ability to complete an internship, or to compete in an elite sports program, and more. Never before has flexibility been more important in our K-12 schools, and it will continue to be true as we move into the future of school. The good news is that flexibility has also never been more possible.
3: Hi, my name is Christian Rodriguez. I am a junior at North Greenville University and I did online learning pretty much the entirety of my middle school and high school career. I used Florida Virtual School and what it really allowed me to do is bend my schooling schedule around the rest of the extracurricular activities, the outside activities that I want to do, whether it be 4-H, Boy Scouts, working with the animals on my farm, going to youth group, whatever that looked like, I could move my school schedule around those activities. So really, I was maximizing my learning opportunities, not minimizing them by being stuck in a classroom for eight hours of the day. Not that that can't work for some people, but it allowed me to do so much more with my time. If, if I needed to be outside working with animals or, or, or working with Boy Scouts during the day, I could do my schoolwork at night if that's what I needed to do. And I'd say another really big benefit for me, is moving on to the college level being a junior now it allowed me to be prepared for this new digital aspect that schooling has become a lot of colleges even if you're doing in-person classes which all of mine are we still have blackboard we still have discussion segments my spanish class uses vistas all of the math classes use online segments it's it's almost impossible to avoid using online schooling in some way at the college level, whether or not you're doing in-person classes. And so taking those online classes in middle school and in high school helped me to be prepared for what this next level of schooling brought. And it gave me, I don't wanna say an advantage, but an extra push to be ready for this next stage of education and this next stage of life. So I owe a lot of my own success to online learning.
0: You're listening to Future of School, the podcast, highlighting all the important voices in the innovative education landscape of today and tomorrow. Coming up next, a great interview segment hosted by one of our student scholarship
1: winners.
4: Hi, uh, I'm Georgie Ingram. I am currently getting my BFA in dance from the University of the Arts going into my junior year of what will be remote learning this semester. Um, I met Amy two years ago through the Foundation for Blended Online Learning after I um, received a scholarship from the foundation after doing two years of online school to focus both on my education and my dancing. Um, And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with Amy today.
0: Thanks, Georgie. It's great to be here and talk to you and catch up.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, So moving into especially thinking about remote learning and schooling and education and teaching. um, When you think about the future of school and specifically what it can and should or like dreaming what it can look like for students, what do you what do you think of?
0: That's a great question. And it's one that lots of people are talking about. And I'm very, very lucky to have been working in the field of online and blended learning for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. So when I think about what the future of K-12 education in our country looks like, it is very much tech-based. Mm-hmm. It personalized to what students are interested in. It's new and creative curriculum that will allow them to take classes that they're interested in. And mm-hmm. that's One of the things that's that's been intriguing about our scholarship program that we have is kids have taken online and blended courses throughout the country in different ways, and that allows them to pursue their dreams and goals. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, And coming from the perspective of a student who has done blended online learning um, and has kind of gone down that path, it made me think a lot about like access and kind of like accountability and advocating for my own education, how do you think that that can show up or will start showing up more? Yeah, it's
0: another really important question that people are starting to talk about and have conversations around to solve for. Having choice in the kind of classes that Mm -hmm. you take and in the learning environment, I think that's the baseline. When students have choice, and they can embrace their voice and say, I'm really interested in this. Huh? Where, how can I find classes in agriculture? How can I pursue more learning opportunities in Mm -hmm. computer coding? And they're motivated to find classes that they're interested in. I think that's the baseline is advocating for yourself because you realize that we're not limited and confined Mm -hmm. to our local school. And local schools are great, but what this pandemic has done is it is putting brick and mortar schools that have had a one-size-fits-all, it puts them in a position to have to innovate because Mm -hmm. of the constraints of social distancing and because of having to do more with a, a smaller budget. So all of the scholarship winners from our program, I see all of you guys as these early adopters and these digital pioneers who long before this have said, I am going to figure out a way to stay engaged in school, make this fit my schedule, pursue my dreams and goals. And there's all kinds of dreams and goals that have been accommodated for through blended and online learning. And I think it's going to continue in that way.
4: Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's great. Um, I think it's kind of Obvious and and hearing you speak and hearing you answer these questions, but um, do you have a personal mission that motivates your own work and education?
0: I do. Every day that I get up, it's my goal to be of service to students and teachers, however possible. I'm really lucky and fortunate to be able to work for a nonprofit and to give opportunities through financial support to educators and to learners throughout America in different ways, and. So that is, every day that I wake up, I say, how can I be of service? You know, how can I step into my job and have an impact that will allow me to take my experiences from being a teacher in the classroom? I taught face-to-face. I taught online. I taught in blended environments. And that really was the tipping point for me to know that my career and my life purpose should be to help. Support new ways of teaching and learning and innovation because I saw it work. You know when I taught Spanish I was the teacher that had the lesson plan that was different that was unique. We would create marketplaces outside I I loved bringing to life content and now technology has the power to do that
4: Mm -hmm.
0: in ways that we never imagined before
4: Yeah, yeah Um, I think it's it's really refreshing and hopeful to to hear like how we can think about this in terms of what technology can bring um especially moving into more remote learning are there any tips or like pieces of advice you have for both educators and students moving into these more technical technological and and distant ways of learning
0: I know we don't have a ton of time. This is something I could talk about for a long, long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I've talked to educators and administrators, parents and students a lot over the last few months. Because when you run an organization that's called Future of School, people mm-hmm. think you have all the answers. You have all the answers. And I and I my go-to with that is no. We are creating all. We are creating solutions together. Mm-hmm. So my advice is not, one of the most critical components is communication, that people are staying in communication. And it, I think historically, it's been uncomfortable for people in positions of power to say, we're not sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We don't have enough information on that, especially when it comes to schools. I mean, calendars are published 30, 365 days in advance. And we're at a place now where it's like mm, 52% of schools this year don't know the mm-hmm. type of learning environment they're going to open. So it's pushing people and really challenging them to say, I don't know, or we'll we'll figure this out together. So I think open, uh, collaborative communication is important. Having town halls, if you're a school, going to town halls, if you're a parent, engaging is a critical piece. Um, An attitude of a growth mindset and also of having grace that we know that it's it's going to take time, that things might not look how we think they're going to look. we can't point fingers and blame. I think the blame game is one of the worst things that can happen. It's their fault, it's this fault. It's, we have the most benign agnostic thing to blame and that's a a pandemic, which is outside of our control. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece I would have. And then also be creative in this time. Learning happens anywhere, anytime. I believe that our concept of school, you know, it, it was a building it was a noun. It was a place. And now it's a verb. It's, we see it come to life. Schooling happens at home. Schooling happens at the park. It's becoming more synonymous with learning. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really great opportunity for us to redesign and recraft what the future of school looks like together.
4: Yeah, uh, I think that was a perfect way to end. Um, Yeah, I think thinking about the words communication, listening um, are really important and like sounding and, and moving forward for me too. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I had a great time talking with you.
0: Me too, and I look forward to staying
4: connected with you. Good luck at school. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. To learn more about Future of School, including our student scholarship program, Innovative Educator Prize, and other efforts to highlight and accelerate purposeful innovation in schools, visit our website, futureof.school, follow us on Twitter at futureofschool, or connect with us on Facebook or LinkedIn.